Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, guys. Before we get into enjoying this episode of the Caged In podcast, where me and Liam H. Dempsey of the Spotlight podcast will be talking about Bangkok Dangerous. Just need to have a little visit over to my mate, Thomas underscore W underscore Hunter on Twitter to have a little look if the cosmic way of words merge together to let us know a little nugget of information about this film we're about to watch. And this week for Bangkok Dangerous, he has delivered Cage with a K. He's using the letters that he has given. Obviously, you can't always get a C, so sometimes you've got to spell Cage with a K. I'm not going to tarnish the man for doing so. I reward him if anything. So Cage, a knob on drugs. So I have seen this film and um, I think he was because he wouldn't have phoned in this awful, terrible performance if he wasn't on drugs. That might be the only explanation for why this film is the way it is. So just sit back, relax and just enjoy it. Me and Liam trying to figure out why the hell this film was made because it was a remake of a 1999 film by the same directors which seems to be a lot better why have they tarnished their own name and why has Cage just seemed to want his career to free fall into utter shit and chaos well let's find out okay see ya bye <laughs> Hello, and here we are on what looks like spring. It feels like a spring day, and I am joined by uh, Liam from Spotlight Podcast to have a little look at 2008's Bangkok Dangerous. How are you, mate? I'm good, mate. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Uh, there's a little bit of preface to this film. I knew nothing about it and even mentioned it to my girlfriend earlier today. She was like, 
I didn't even know that film existed. Like, when did that come out? It sounds like, like a porn film. Bangkok Dangerous. 100%. And not only that, like, uh, <laughs> I started thinking, like, when I like saw the title, I was like, could that work with any other city name? Like... I'm originally from Crawley. I was like, Crawley Dangerous. Like, it just doesn't like... I think Bangkok is the only city in the world. Yeah, I don't know. Like, it sounds like it sounds like just like an abridged, I don't know, headline on the paper. It's like, Wolverhampton, dangerous. Like, maybe with like some like ellipsis or like some punctuation in it, it could, it could, it could, it could describe a town. But anywhere else, I don't think London dangerous. Doesn't, I don't know. I don't know if they wanted to do like a kind of, um, what is it? Olympus has fallen style. Like Bangkok would have been the first one. Then it would have been like whole dangerous. Do you know what I mean? Depending on the budget for the second one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, yeah, it doesn't really, it's, it's a really, really odd title. I mean, it'd be very, very odd if it's not even set in Bangkok because we don't know yet. <laughs> I mean, if, it, if we watch this film and it's set in Detroit, uh, it's, it's going to be odd. I hope, I hope, I hope it is, and I hope Cage took this film because he saw the title and it was like, like first first line opens Bangkok and it's like, yep, that's what I'm into. I fancy a little holiday. Let's get over there. What's the budget like? Well, I did watch the trailer for this film. Uh, I won't reveal too much of the trailer because I know you like to keep things kind of like blank before you go in. But at the very opening of the trailer, it comes up with a little subtitle to say Prague. As in, you're in Prague, and I was like, "Wait a minute, the film's called Bangkok." They just uh, at the moment, I'm not even sure if it is set in Bangkok. Obviously, after watching the film, I, w- I always do like a little bit of like digging deeper quickly, like having a look on like IMDb right. and stuff like that, just to see, like, because you always find they you find some gold on like the trivia and stuff like that, and it yeah, probably yeah. will turn out that this was filmed in like. Vancouver or something like yeah or like, or like or like yeah the former Yugoslav it's something crazy and it's gonna be it's gonna be a joy to have you, I've got to ask you had you ever seen this film before I haven't seen this film before um I've got to say I do remember it coming out um I remember seeing the poster is quite um I wouldn't say iconic uh but it's it's a memorable poster I think for the way Cage looks in it, so... I actually recently saw an article of, um, you know, like, those collections of, like, here's 15 movie posters with, like, uh, graphic design errors. Oh, okay. And this is one of them. Right. Uh, I think it's something to do with, like, he's holding a gun, but, like... The, the kind of way that he's holding it or something just doesn't... Do, it doesn't work out. I'll, like... I'll obviously post it when this yeah, episode yeah, comes yeah, out yeah, and yeah. I'll... I'll show you in the interim. Like, before. well, I think that's why he's an odd-looking. He looks odd in the poster, definitely. That's why it's stuck in my mind. Yeah, yeah, and it's very blue. If I remember, very like, yes. blue, like shit flames in the background, yeah, maybe yeah. similar <laughs> to the poster of Next, which again is fucking trash. And if posters are anything to go by, I don't think we're in for a good time. You're still sore over Next, aren't you? Still sore having to watch that film. Oh, I am fucking... Yeah, yeah. And I have watched National Treasure in between as well. National Treasure 2, which I personally feel is a delight of a film. <laughs> a delight? Put that on the poster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, like, I don't know. I feel like this is... I'm scared that I'm in, like, the deep shit of Nicolas uh, Cage's uh, you, career. No, I think you are, definitely. Uh, I mean, 
I think you've got a long, hard road ahead. Because um, you're doing this in chronological order. <laughs> and I think you are, you've now... I kind of next, I, I kind of think, represents the start of the total paycheck era of Cage. I don't get me wrong. I think as soon as he kind of became an action star in the mid-90s, I think we started leaning towards that. But I kind of think next is the film where you go like, oh, he doesn't give a shit anymore. He really doesn't. So I think you are going to get some real fucking trash. I think now, between now and when you finish this journey, um, if you haven't killed yourself by then, <laughs> I think you are going to... The, the things, the, the diamonds in the rough are going to be the, the more rare kind of like things. Like I reckon so, going through between like the absolute pieces of shit. Well, like the thing is, like looking at like the stuff that is coming out like this year, I have got like a light at the end of the tunnel because like there is there is mum and dad which looks like batshit crazy. Cage getting to be like his like utmost cagiest that he can be. Like I've seen all like the posters and that looks great. I love Brian Taylor. Yeah. Um, and Mandy as well, which uh, is coming out later this summer, which did amazingly at Sundance. So, yeah. like, I feel like all of it might be worth it. Do you know what I mean? He kind of he might be having a re- renaissance, like, and like cageissance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I just, I'm just hoping somebody out there, like one of the, like the big directors or like someone who's like up and coming, who's going to do like some real. It's got like a diamond in their back pocket. It's going to be like, you know what? We're going to fucking give him a chance, put him in something that's going to be Oscar worthy. That's what I want to see. I want to see a big redemption story for my give boy, Nicholas Cage. A chance. Exactly. Well, this is what I was going to say. I mean, the thing is, it's interesting to come on uh, this podcast because I think I've often found myself uh, in years prior to be a bit of an apologist for Nicholas Cage in the sense of for a long time. Whenever people would sag him off, I would say, you've got to remember, there was a time where Cage was a really respected actor, leaving Las Vegas, that's a brilliant film, and he is brilliant in it, and there's quite a few other movies prior to that as well, where his performances are very respected, where he's in interesting indie films, Raising Arizona, stuff like that, and I would say even his early action work, something like Face Off, I think is an action masterpiece, and John Woo's best American film, um, but as time has gone on, I've found it harder to be an apologist for Cage because as we get further away from those hits of yesteryear, I mean, leaving Las Vegas is now almost twenty-five years ago. Ninety-four, um, is it? Ninety-six. Ninety-six. Okay, well, it's still over two decades ago. <laughs> I feel it's it's getting too far away now. And I feel something that, like, should be, like, expunged, like, after a while is the fact that, like, a lot of his DVD cases nowadays still have Oscar winner Nicolas Cage. <laughs> and it feels like that is, like, the marketing budget of the film is just to put the, like, terrible Times New Roman font on the top just saying Nicolas Cage, Oscar winner. And they think that this dirge that is just going straight to DVD <laughs> will somehow people will, like, do you know what I mean? It feels like there should yeah, be a timeline. Yeah, yeah. There should be after... You think there should be a moratorium on actors who once won Academy Awards, who have now sunk into making trash, should be allowed to still use that. Subject. Should not be allowed to yeah, use yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You shouldn't be allowed to use that after a certain amount of time if you're just 
making piles of shit forever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because um, otherwise, like, I don't know. Like, uh, yeah, it should be a statute of limitations on it. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah, like, like yeah. he's it's too far. In twenty years, done. The like, was, I think I think you're possibly right about that. I think definitely if they kind of almost. Perhaps Oscar should take the Academy Award back. Or like, yeah, like a bronze one. Do you know what I mean? Like, you've got to earn it back. Like, yeah, kind yeah, of like, yeah, like yeah. You've, you've, you've really let the side down here. Like, it gets to a less and less precious metal each time. Before, <laughs> like, before you know it, you've got a wooden one carved by a blind man with yeah. no hands. So, let's get to it and get raging with Cage. Oh, I just want to ask you about this. Yeah. Uh listen to your podcast quite a lot I've always noticed that you say Raging with Cage and it struck me being that the title of the podcast is Caged In surely it would rhyme more to say Raging with a Cage then <laughs> yeah but um, I didn't have uh, I, did, I, I don't know I just I fucking sprung one on me eh? <laughs> I, 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 I don't know because I want to get Raging with Cage himself not to be not to be raging with me, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's the one you're angry at, for making you watch these films. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I feel like it made sense at one point in my mind, and I've too deep into the shit now to go back on it, and I can't really change it. <laughs> well, I'm just gonna say. Before- before we sit down to watch Bangkok Dangerous, um, just for people who are listening who have no idea who I am. Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, as Petra said, uh, I'm Liam. I do a podcast called Spotlight. So it's like Spotlight, but with Spock from Star Trek. Um, basically, the idea is we kind of look at Star Trek from a non tracky perspective, being that me and my co host, Matt and Paul, weren't big Star Trek fans or anything before we started the podcast. Thought it'd be an interesting idea to look at something that's got a really hardcore fan base from an kind of outsider perspective. Um, been going for about a year and a half now. Nice. And uh, yeah, absolutely love it. We're kind of a monthly podcast where we do lots of like bonus episodes and stuff, and it's it's great fun. So if you're into Star Trek or you're looking to get into it, definitely give us a listen. Would you say I've got a, like I really want to ask this question? Are, are you have you become a fan since doing the podcast? I would say I kind of have, yeah, um, because we started with the movies, weirdly, because all three of us have kind of like film degrees and we were more film buffs than we were Star Trek buffs, so we were like, let's do the films, and then we were like, oh, and also if we get bored after 13, we can just stop, um, but actually seeing all the movies back to back and in order, I was like, oh, okay, I'm appreciating this, and now I'm interested to go back to the TV series and watch it now. We're gradually watching through the uh, TV shows what we're kind of doing uh, to give us a starting point because there's a lot to take on because combined you're talking about something like 30 plus seasons of television all the different TV shows. Um, so we're doing these episodes at the moment where we get a guest on who's like a big Star Trek fan and they basically try and sell us one of the TV shows. So like Next Generation, Voyager and stuff, they pick an episode for us to watch that they think will convince us to watch on 
and watch more of it. And that's kind of what we're doing at the moment. And I've got to say, I'm really, really enjoying the experience. And now I'm actually finding myself going, yeah, I want to see more of all these TV shows. So I'm gradually getting buried under the weight of all these extra seasons of Star Trek I've now got to watch or watch a lot of episodes of. Um, but it's, it's fun, man. I'm, I'm really enjoying the experience. So, yeah, I, I think so, I sort of have become a bit of a fan. Amazing, because I feel almost a little affinity for you guys because like, I wasn't the biggest Nicolas Cage fan when I started right, this. Okay. I kind of like picked him out of the air possibly more for the like sheer volume and the just idea that he's kind of let his career go. You thought go. it would be fun to do? I thought, it'd be, wrong. <laughs> I thought it'd be funny and I thought like the humour would possibly come from a man yes. suffering through like someone who at one point was great and has maybe like, yeah. yeah, just let his career go buck wild off the rails. But like I've grown to love not just his films, but him as a man. I genuinely feel like concerned for him and like oh what was his what was his mental state was going through this like how is he doing like i see articles like that have come out recently about how he blew his like millions and stuff like that and i genuinely like almost like shed a tear for him and like care for him like oh, oh come oh, on that's like, why he's doing all these films well yeah like yeah like well that's what they say but like because at one point he was like something ridiculous like hundreds of millions like wealth and now they reckon estimate it's still a lot of money but 25 million is all he's got left and like he had a lot of problems with the uh i think it's the irs yeah 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 yeah. and um there's some crazy stuff though there is um stuff like he owned a skeleton he owned a like a skull from a dinosaur and then it turned out that that skull had been stolen by the person he'd bought it off and had to be returned to, like, the Mongolian government. You sure this wasn't the plot for National Treasure 3? Like, yeah. <laughs> I wish it was. And I have I have penned my own version of what that script would look like and it would be a meta masterpiece. <laughs> I'm trying to pitch it to Charlie Kaufman as we speak. But on that note, let's get raging with a caged in. This one's for you, Liam. Bangkok dangerous oh boy oh boy oh boy there's a lot of uh lot, lot to be said and there is a lot of questions about this film first reactions from you liam what a- well i mean it was it was pretty insufferable wasn't it uh, dangerous for anyone to watch uh maybe yeah, I did not know as well until doing a little bit of reading after watching this. That this is a remake yes. of a 1999, um, actually directed by the same brother directors who directed this. Same people. They're twin brothers, the Pang brothers. Um, they actually lived in Bangkok as well. Uh, they're from Hong Kong originally. Um, but that's presumably why the original film was set in Bangkok, because that's where they were living at the time. No reason for the remake to be set in Bangkok. No, it but, could. But the original—that's that. That would be why that was. And one, one, one thing I need to say about like about it is, this is what nine years after that, and you would have thought they would have had a few more films under their belt. I thought this was a directorial debut by someone because it is shot <laughs> like a piece of shit. I mean, it's, it's proper straight-to-video kind of look, isn't it? 
Oh, one hundred percent. So, like, should we get into what, like, what the plot is of this yeah, film? Sure. Um, so, yeah, as 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 we said about the trailer, it opens in Prague, and we kind of get Nick Cage, his character Joe, I believe his Joe, name, yeah. and he's um he's tenos, he's a hitman, he's a chiselled gruff, and this is his last job. He's going to Bangkok for four hits, bang, 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 and out. Yeah. Why? Why, why is he out though? Because in in the film, I I could not see any indication given to us as to why he has chosen to leave the hitman life. Literally, what happens is he's at I think it's an airport. He looks at a crying ginger kid for about five seconds, <laughs> and like there's this really annoying crying ginger. Literally, just screaming. And he kind of looks at it, and I was like, oh, is he going to murder the ginger king? It's so great. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, sometimes it's time to quit. And, and it, you seem to be being asked to formulate that he's looked at this crying child, and something to do with this crying child has made him go, that's it, got to leave the hitman life behind now. <laughs> But at the same time, he's telling us these four rules that he has, yes. which are don't ask questions, don't take interest in people out of work, leave no trace, and know when to get out. Like, they're a lot more drawn out in the film as well. He, like, kind of has, like, that's what they needed. Real snappy, bang, 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 yeah. bang, here are the rules. But it's kind of like, it'll be like, don't ask questions about the job, about this. But it's, we don't need all that extra guff with it. It's just keep those, like, rules. Well, I don't know. I, I think it needed something added on socials because what it should have been is, number four, know when to get out, and when to get out is when you see a crying ginger kid at the airport. <laughs> <laughs> That's the time. But the thing is, like the my, my biggest bugbear with this film is the fact that it makes a big point of letting us know these rules at the beginning. Yeah. And then his character throughout the film, for no apparent reason, just ignores all of his own fucking rules, which seem to be a re- like as soon as he gets to Bangkok to do this job, he's bef- like in a matter of like twenty four hours has befriended the guy who's supposed to be like his kind of runner, and he's taken him on as some kind of like Mister Miyagi, like protege, <laughs> yeah, like and yeah. they're kind they're, there's like these montages that are look like they're straight out of the karate kid yeah. of like him in the garden or like yeah like doing all this like montage getting ready for like some big fight and stuff like that he's fallen in love with a lady who works at a pharmacy a deaf mute lady like which a subplot well, which this is something we should mention that in the original film it was cage's character yeah, yeah, yeah. who is deaf and mute and apparently when they brought it over to Hollywood and cast a big name actor, it was a case of, oh, we can't have him being deaf and mute because it's Nicolas Cage. And so they flipped it to her to keep that aspect in there, but they couldn't have Cage doing it. But it makes no... For one, the relationship itself has no real bearing on the story whatsoever. Because no bearing on reality. <laughs> And has, like, she's not then used at any point as some kind of leverage with the villains. It is the lackey, uh, Kong's, Mm. like, love interest, who is then used as leverage. Oh, what, is that right? Yeah. Oh, 
you know what? This is a case of me being extremely racist um, because I think I've I've missed out on the fact um, that it was his girlfriend who was with him kidnapped at the end and not the deaf mute. Um, I think I've uh, and also just to show like just how much attention this film is capable of holding. Well, well, and and the character development is like <laughs> yeah. there is next. There's none. There's none. They're like again. We don't know why Joe is the way he is. Like what has happened in the past to make him think this is the last job. Yeah. Obviously, apart from this crying child at the yeah. airport. What do you mean? What do you mean? And like what what in him? It's like he's all of a sudden like he must have killed f- hundreds maybe even thousands of people throughout his career. And on his last job, he has developed a conscience all of a sudden, out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? Because, you know, I know we talk about him going against his own rules, but, you know, potentially I'm okay with that because, you know, that's all films, isn't it? Whenever you get any character like this, I mean, immediately I thought of Heat with uh, Robert De Niro where, you know, famously he says he's kind of, you know, ruled his ne- never kind of have anything that you can't leave in, like, 30 seconds if you have to, because um, he's a bank robber and everything like that. And he, of course, breaks that rule in the film. And that's fine, because in Michael Mann's Heat, it's incredibly well-developed and well-characterised. Whereas here, there's no real reason for him to break those rules. I'm fine with him breaking them if we believe he would, but why does he break them for this? I mean, he says here, when he, you know, first, before at the beginning, we see him kill uh, a guy who kind of brings him some money and everything like that, because he says, you know, you can't have any loose ends. And he's about to do the same with, you know, his little sidekick who he meets in this film. Um, and then he decides, something stops him from doing it. He decides not to. Instead, he starts teaching him. And he says, somehow, when I look into his eyes... I see myself. Do you? Why? (laughs) There's nothing about this kid that, you know, we think is like you. Why? Why do you see yourself? I don't understand. And like one thing I took away from the, 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 the only bit of light relief for me about this film is that it's a great tool for learning, uh, Thai swear words. So I now, I can now go back and find out how to call someone not just both a duck fucker, but also tell them to fuck their mother, which is something if I'm ever going to Thailand, I'm not sure if I will need to know, but it's good to know. I've got it there in my back pocket, just in case. Well, you successfully learned more Thai than Nicolas Cage does in this film. Because the whole thing is, he, he clearly can't speak the language in this. And yet, I mean, the whole, again, the whole relationship with the guy. I mean, this is just a thing about Hollywood movies that fucks me off, to be honest. In the sense of immediately he meets this deaf mute girl in the pharmacy, and within two seconds he's pretty much like, "Can I take you to dinner?" Why? You don't. You don't know it. You can't speak her language. Even if you could, she's deaf and mute. Like, just like, what is it? Apart from the fact that she's pretty, like, what is it that's led you to be like, "Well, I've got to take you out for a meal"? And to be honest, I don't think they even get across very well that she's deaf and mute straight away because of the fact that he clearly can't speak the language. 
the way the scene is played when they first meet kind of comes across just as if they can't speak each other's language, rather than, oh, she's also deaf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't become important until later. And it's the thing as well that he, like, through this, just, like, supposed to be this badass assassin as well, just looks like an awkward 45-year-old man on holiday. <laughs> like, when he's not killing people, he's kind of dressed really awkwardly in, like, Hawaiian shirts and linen trousers. Like, don't get me started on the fucking hair. That is... that. I don't know what was going on. Like the film. This be- is a bad hair day for Cage, isn't it? The film before this was. Na- I'm not sure when, like, which way they were shot. Because I know, like, next fucking terrible hair, and this it's looks floppy hair and next as well, isn't it? Yeah, but it's 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 the it's it's the mixture of floppy hair, but receding like a motherfucker. Yes, and I can say that as a man whose hair is receding, <laughs> but has decided to go the Bruce Willis route and just shave it all off <laughs> instead of the Nick Cage like. I'm going to fool people by growing it out. But he looks, he he just looks awkward as well. Even when he's on the date with her, he just looks like, I don't know, like one, I don't buy into that relationship. One bit. Like she's a young, attractive woman. And as I said, he looks like someone's creepy dad. Just like, he looks like the type of guy when you go, those guys who go to Thailand to look for a Thai bride. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's who you think of. You think of Nick Cage with that haircut. Well, I think that's kind of the fantasy they're instilling here, to be honest, for the kind of people who go and watch this film. And look, said, there's no build-up there, right? Shit, he turns up at a pharmacy with a cut on his arm. That's about it. And suddenly she's like, oh, wow. Smitten. <laughs> Sweep me away from here, Nicholas Cage. Like, yeah. And then when they, as their relationship progresses, like two people are assassinated in front of them, aren't they? And she gets blood on yeah. her. Yeah. And like, instead of trying to explain or anything... He just decides to follow her around on his motorbike looking like an absolute creep. He's like outside her window. He's just like driving past the pharmacy. Like, I just don't... Well, even that scene where she finds out is, is really oddly played, isn't it? And really oddly done. There's two guys coming out of nowhere. Because obviously the idea is meant to be she's deaf, so she can't hear the gunshots. And then there's some blood splatter on her and stuff like that. Uh, and like you say, I mean, it's just completely... She doesn't see any of it, so when she turns around, she just instantly... She seems to somehow be able to deduce that he is, like, a hitman and a killer just from seeing what's happening. She doesn't go, oh, were you attacked? What happened? Yeah, yeah. Explain. Like, it just really goes insane straight away. And their first date scene is fucking excruciating as well. I've got to say, there's this thing. It goes on forever, as with this thing, Nicolas Cage going, oh, the, the food's too hot, and everything like that. And it just, it, it, it plays out over about five minutes. It's awful. Well, I've written down in my notes, like, why so many date scenes? And, like, what is the point of, I, like, again, what is the point of that subplot? I don't get the, like, Karate Kid subplot at all. And what annoys me is this could have been a decent nuts and bolts action film yeah and like there's elements of it that are all i could keep thinking was like and it came out a lot later but like all i think is i would so much prefer to be watching john wick right now right now yeah i mean well i think that's probably if that's your level i think that's gonna happen during a lot of nicholas cage action films you're no, no. yourself up for no but I, I mean i mean like the premise of like this kind of grizzled assassin like there's um 
I don't. He's just really awkward. Well, he's like, definitely grizzled. I mean, he, his neck. What's wrong with his neck? It looks emaciated. <laughs> I swear, it's like you said about. Uh, I was looking at him, and I was thinking, there's a scene where Cage is in a vest, and I was looking at his arms and stuff, and I was like, has he actually beefed up for this role? Or have they just oiled him up a lot? Because they clearly put loads of oil on his arms. Yeah, he's so wet. He's so wet. There's a scene in Ghost Rider as well, which is like, um, he's just got out of the shower, but it's like this clean, wet, oily look, which they've replicated again in this. And there's like a brilliant bit in that, and the trivia of that, that like, even to this day, is speculated that he was like CGI enhanced oh, to look more really? buff. Yeah, yeah. So, like, it wouldn't surprised. surprise. It wouldn't surprise if this happened on this as well. Right. <laughs> um, we were saying about the deaf mute uh, thing where they swapped it to the guard. I've got to say, yeah, I'd be interested in seeing the original film because I, and straight away, like you say, you describe this kind of nuts and bolts. Thriller, or what it, it, it actually it aspired to be nuts and bolts thriller, and it isn't even fucking that. Um, but uh, to me, instantly, the idea of him being deaf and mute is ten times more interesting than the character we've got. And number one, Nicholas Cage may as well have been mute in this film because he's fucking phoning his performance in like anything. You know, he's not even really speaking those lines, so may as well make him mute. But that just instantly makes the character more interesting, doesn't it? Well, and and a guy who could play like so like physical in his like performances could do it amazingly yeah. well, yeah. and like given the chance. But like the thing that confuses me as well is this film is actually made by his production company, Saturn Pictures. Yeah, is actually Nick Cage's like company. So I imagine he would have had a lot like more input than just just having a bought in like producer credit. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing, because I think this is quite actually quite sad, if you think about it, because, you know, they said, oh, it was changed for marketing purposes and everything like that. But, you know, I don't really buy into that. It's not the same thing as famously uh, back when the Sylvester Sloan Judge Dredd was made. They had to have him take the helmet off, which if anyone uh, reads the comics, you'll know it is not something that happens to the comics. Judge Dredd always keeps his helmet on. Um, but they couldn't have him with his helmet on all the way through because Stallone was a huge star at the time. You've got to show him the moneymaker, take it off. That's a very different thing from not speaking. As long as you can see the person's face, I don't like. Is anyone going to see Nicolas Cage films to hear the voice of Cage? Like, you know, like, oh, wait, wait, wait. what? He doesn't speak in the film. Oh, right, I am out. I don't think that would put anyone off. I feel like that would draw more people in. Yeah. It would be one of those, like, talking points of the film. Like, wow, it's going to be like... I would say one of the things, like, with Nick Cage, you, you go to see his films for the voice, is what the fuck is his voice going to be doing? Because, right. like, yeah, some of the yeah, accents yeah. he's pulled out in the past, God knows where the fuck they are from. Or he's going to be histrionic and crazy. But this is what I mean, the sense of it's his production company, so presumably he's calling some of the shots. And you would have think, as an actor... You know, if I'm thinking from the position actor, I'm thinking, oh, acting challenge. That's what's going to be interesting. Oh, I've never played someone deaf and mute before. This could be a real challenge for me. Real great. And you would have thought he would have pushed for that. 100%. Because otherwise, like this, he's clearly phoning it in because the material is lacking. 
at the end of the day, and he's clearly not infused by it. So surely make it a more interesting role for yourself. And then, and that makes me think that Cage does not give a flying fuck. He really ju is just in it for the paycheck, and he doesn't care about acting. Well, one of the things, like, from doing the reading is finding out that a lot of this was shot, like, without, well, it looks a lot of the time that it's shot without the actors being in either the same room, or especially, like, there is a scene on the boat chase where there is never a moment where you see the two boats in the same frame. Right, right, right. And it is always, like, Cage is separate, and it's like, did they need to do some reshoots, and Cage had already moved on to the next project? Like, it said, it says on IMDb, like, a lot of, like, because his schedule was so tight... And like a lot of it looks like he has just walked off of one film set onto this and gone, right, yep, you've got me for 20 minutes, let's get this done. Like Even when at the end he's shooting the guys like in the windows, you never see him shoot, you just see them falling out of windows, which makes me think like a lot of it and like there's 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 too much stuff of just the lackey going about town doing his bits and bobs and it's like we haven't had enough to build up on that character literally he's introduced and then bang here's him driving about bangkok where it's like he's not the character you've introduced for 10 yeah. like 20 minutes it's cage i don't care what this guy is up to it's not it's for, for my money it's not his film well but, but by the end it kind of is yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, like you know he is elevated very much to kind of you know almost side by side with Cage is just as important by the end of that film. But I almost feel cheated by that because Cage is like up front and centre on the poster. Yeah. Like, it's not like I would have a lot more, I don't know, goodwill towards Cage if this was him doing that, like, almost like, I want to shine light onto some, like, undiscovered, like, Thai yeah. talent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But do you know what I mean? Like, if it was a, yeah, if it yeah, was yeah. a, a with Nicolas Cage film, right, like, right. as if like he took like the back seat, he yes. took the, I don't know, yeah, he took the kind of Mister Miyagi, role. yeah, he yeah, took yeah, the yeah. Mister Miyagi role. It is up front and center. It is this Thai actor's film, and then he's kind of there to show him the way. Yeah, but it's not. It's kind of wants to have its cake and eat it by yeah, having yeah, yeah. Cage up front and center, but at the same time if it is, like, filming schedules or whatever it is, to just, when they need to, push Cage out of the centre just so they can kind of, like... Or they just didn't get the shots. And I'm just, like, this, I'm, my mind is just working here to try and figure out why the fuck a lot of this is like it is, well, because... Cage does make a lot of films, doesn't he? he like, he, he's in a lot each year, isn't he? Like, you know, in terms of... And do you think he's just trying to pack in as much as possible... Um, to keep the optimum amount of cash flowing in, and therefore he's like, right, I can only do this many days on this one, this many days on this one. So, you know, he's not always available for all the shots and everything. Yeah, but obviously, like, it's his production company. <laughs> yeah. That, like, it's just but so the other amazing. Five he's making that year probably his production company as well. Yeah, that's how I, I, I just don't, I just don't get it. Like, Get your fingers out of them other pies. Just just focus on one pie at a time. The one passion project of Bangkok Dangerous. That's the one that you need. Oh, um, is there any scenes that really just like either got your goat or just like you really want to just fucking tell us about? All of them. Like, I mean, I've, I, I've got to be honest. It, like I said, it was a pretty insufferable film. 
like about halfway through the movie, you actually turned to me and apologised for making me watch this film. And, you know, it, it only got worse. Um, yeah, and I, I'm fine with with watching it because I, I, I'm a ravenous film devourer. I enjoy <laughs> the idea of watching films and discussing them. But, I mean, this was, like, horrendous. Like, really, really awful. I mean, I, I would go as far as saying this is one of the worst films I've ever seen. Oh, I'd like, and there's no redeeming factors. No, it's it's nothing. not it's not just story was bad, the way it's shot is bad. The editing in points, oh, oh was yeah, awful. Un- it's a- Some of the scene transitions, really odd choices they make. Like, earlier on, there was a, there was a screen wipe, which those should only be used in Star Wars. As yeah, for for, for <laughs> pure nostalgia, but there is a scene in this film that genuinely looks like you can see the cut marks on like the like do you know what I mean where it has been edited because yeah, it yeah. is just literally plonked in and it almost feels retcon because it like it looks like it was picked up afterwards. Gone fuck. We haven't actually explained the fact that Nick Cage now has to kill this politician who is loved by the people. Oh, yeah, okay. Oh. See, scenes that were particularly awful, yes. This scene where, out of nowhere, it's just after... I mean, I mean, it's very oddly placed as well. Not only does it seem like it was just plonked in in terms of the look of the edits, but... In terms of totally, plot, yeah, because it, literally, what what we've just happened is we've had the first hit that Cage has taken his new little sidekick, uh, the Karate Kid, along with him on, and he's seen him kill uh, some people, and he looks a bit perturbed by that, and then suddenly it cuts this scene where it's them watching the TV. There's a politician. I think he's the local mayor. I think. Uh, and he's on there, and he's just speaking. And you know, we've never—I don't think we've seen this guy before in the film. Uh, suddenly, sees him on TV. Uh, the kid turns around to him and says, "Oh, this man—he he's a very good man. Um, you know, he he helps people. He, he stops the bad guys. He's like you to Nicolas Cage." And I was right. What's happened? I was like, "Is this guy's mind broken? Has he kind of watched this and been so traumatized?" by seeing Cage blow bad guys away, but he's reconfigured it in his head to go, oh, he only, he is a hitman, but he only murders bad guys. And Cage looks at him as if he's going, what are you talking about? I murdered a five-year-old kid last week <laughs> just because they paid me extra. It's like, like, yeah, I'd, I've got no rule about only killing bad guys. That wasn't one of the rules up front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, what are you talking about? Uh, yeah, I don't get why he's painted out to be this kind of, like, Robin Hood-esque figure <laughs> yeah. where he is, like, just, like, the groom. He'll take anyone. Yeah, yeah, I'm just like, you pay, you pay me enough, I'll fucking kill you, mate. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Well, his, his initial plan would have been yes, to kill him. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, and he knows that because he literally, he literally went to kill him. From what, <laughs> from what we, what we imagine, could have been a day earlier because the time frame of this film, I have no idea how long this was set over. Well, because he's training the kid, isn't he? That but, could have been a month. You <laughs> yeah, how, yeah. You don't know how long that's gone on for. It's it's very hard to tell how long he's training him for. And it's kind of, it's also very weird because it doesn't quite make sense. Why is he training him? Like, we, we never really know exactly what Cage's skill set is 
really. It's like, oh, he's a hitman, but also he seems to be like a martial arts master. Well, apparently in Win Chung, which is like yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. the famous uh, martial art that Ip Man did, if you've ever seen the Ip Man films. Yeah, well, yeah, I haven't seen the Ip Man films, but I'd like to. Fantastic, but like, um, there's... Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's like some weird, uh, like, sim- like symbology in this with uh, an elephant as well. Oh, God, the elephant scenes. And the, the elephant keeps coming back up all the way through. It's because only when he's got, um, he's got a, a painting of like an elephant on his wall and the sidekick goes, says something about, oh, you should hang him the other way. It's, it's bad luck to have him that way. The trunk facing down yeah, is bad like luck. And then he goes on this date, and while they're on the date, they come across an elephant, and there's, again, this really long, presumably symbolic scene where he's kind of stroking the elephant and stuff, and it's like him seeing the crying ginger kid earlier. It's like him seeing the elephant. He makes some kind of connection with the elephant, and he's like, oh, yeah, got to give up the life of a hitman. Because I've straight this elephant. But the, yeah, the, one of the things I thought when I saw that was, <coughs> again, you wouldn't see John Wick doing this shit. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I know, I, know, I, know, I know he befriends a dog, but that's a lot different than like, fucking going to a petting zoo you and touching that, elephants. I think John Wick 3 is going to, you're going to eat your words because John Wick 3 is going to be him having established a relationship with an elephant and then the elephant gets killed. Oh. And that's going to really step up the game. I hope, I hope it's like, it's called like John Wick Free Bangkok, or a little bit of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Big trouble in little Bangkok. I was talking about potential alternate titles. Did you know that one of the um, working titles of this film was Big Hit in Bangkok? Oh, fucking hell. They changed that title thinking... What if this isn't a big hit? <laughs> 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 We're gonna look like idiots then. They must have known. They, I'm not sure if this was test if test screened or what. Like I don't know. That's the thing. Films like this make me feel despair for the film industry entirely because how money is like thrown at stuff like this is just just out of this world, like crazy and like. It's just so disjointed. Like, there is one moment, like, the soundtrack, I thought, it sounds really familiar. And then all of a sudden, it would kind of have this, like, East Asian inflected, like, strings. And then it would kind of flip into, like, some drum and bass Euro dance that almost sounds like, do you remember the uh, anti piracy advert? Like, the you wouldn't steal a car. And it had It had that. And just this, like, really, like, I hate, like, kind of uh, what I consider, like, student film editing, where they kind of, like, do the classic. They do, like, the... I say classic. Why am I saying that? But they do, like... They do, like, a... um Everything's, like, sped up and stuff like that. And it's just kind of, like... We're past... Do you know what I mean? We're past this, guys. Like, we get it. Bangkok is vibrant and busy. Like, yes. you can you can show us that in a different way instead of just like a sped up like long exposure shots with the light light trails and stuff like that it's just this film's insulting to the audience I find I've got to say considering these directors actually come from Bangkok um 
I didn't think that this film had a great sense of place about Bangkok at all. Into apart from the the one scene with the kind of gondolas type thing, the boats that they're in, that was quite that was it's sort of a nice location at least to shoot that scene. But outside of that, I never really got a feel for the city we were in or anything. Well, the thing is as well, one of Cage's first lines when he is in Bangkok yeah. is like something along the lines of like Bangkok. It's dirty and dangerous. Yes. And it's like... It's Bangkok dangerous. Yeah. It's just... I just don't understand what the fuck is going on. I got to a point and just stopped writing notes as well because the film just, to me, falls apart. Like... I mean, it falls apart almost immediately, I would say, in terms of... I mean, literally, like, like I say, I mean, it's an action film, right? And in an action movie, you think, even if it's a shitty, badly written film, usually if there's going to be a redeeming feature, that's going to be the action scenes. But that is not the case here. Like, I mean, all of the action is really poorly edited, really poorly choreographed, doesn't make any logical sense. And I know that in an action film, sometimes that's a hard ask anyway. But, you know, this really seems to take the piss. I mean, that moment where he's chasing the boat alongside on the motorbike and he leaps off it and it instantly explodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, literally, he leaps off it like two seconds before the wall and it instantly explodes upon impact. And it's not even a wall. It's a fence. It's a wooden fence. fence. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's just all really poorly done. Funnily enough, the final big shootout um, which is notable because I don't know if you noticed, but this entire film is very much uh, shot in that blue filter style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, yeah. You know, there's quite a lot of films around the late nineties, noughties era, uh, which you can't all shot through that blue filter. For some reason, for about a decade, people thought that was really cool. Um, but the final shootout, it's red uh, instead. That's it. That, that turns red. But the thing is. In the trailer for this film, which I watched the other day, that scene, some shots from that scene are in there, but they haven't got that red filter on them. Um, so they're just kind of normal. And part of the final shootout is they shoot at each other through a load of plastic bottles of water. And I was like, that is the one thing that might have looked cool with kind of blue filter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With all the water shooting at each other. But in red, it just looks like dog shit. So I was like, that's the one bit that would have benefited from this. And I just... And there's a moment as well when Cage, like, runs... Like, he shot the guy and then he runs away. And he kicks one of the water bottles into the camera... And it's you see you see for a split second the camera shake and like it is definitely he has just on set fuck this bottle is in my way I need to exit frame has kicked it <laughs> it has hit the camera and he is gone and it's this is one of many like moments like there is a moment as well where there is like a zoom and the camera goes out of focus yeah yeah and it's yeah. like come on guys it's really I mean really poor. Really poorly made. I mean, and the, the thing is, is because earlier you were despairing about money being thrown at films like this. I just, do you know what the budget was for this film? I've no idea. Well, um, do you want to take a guess? Do you want to take a guess at what it was? Twenty million. Forty-five fucking million. 
45 million to make this piece of shit. Like, I, I'm so, this does not in any way. I was like, was that all Cage's salary? Was that flying everyone out to Bangkok? I mean, I, I presume it was actually shot in Bangkok. Um, Apart from some moments where it was Cage <laughs> in a studio, in yeah, or, yeah. Or, or, or like the apartment he lives in, uh, it, whilst he's in Bangkok, yes, definitely yeah. looks like it's in the Hollywood Hills. Yes, hundred percent, hundred percent. There's nothing about that film you watch it and go. I literally the whole way through I was just going, what, "Why did this cost forty-five million? What was it that happened? This film that cost forty-five million? I mean, it boggles my fucking mind." I mean, this is the example I always use for this kind of thing. Have you seen the Raid Two? Yeah. Right, Raid Two, obviously an action masterpiece, fantastic, right? That was made for four and a half million, and yet has some of the coolest, best-looking action sequences you've ever fucking seen. And I always use that as a comparison to be like, right, if you look at a Hollywood film, you know that the majority of that money has gone on stars, their trailers. Bullshit like that, because clearly you can make a film for a very small budget, spend everything on the how it looks on the screen, and come out a lot better. Because there's no way this needs forty five million. No, it's insane. I, I am absolutely gobsmacked by hearing <laughs> that news. Um, I just can't. I just can't really wrap my like. I don't know wrap my head around this film. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm like it gets to a moment as well where Cage like reiterates what the rules are. Almost like he's he's it's enough is enough. Like he's got to adapt them now. I've yeah. got oh, no I've got too deep into it. I've like I fucked it up with this girl. Like I let I got I got involved too much with I've broken one of my rules. Let me like reiterate them via voiceover to the audience because I'm gonna I'm gonna change it I'm gonna change right. I'm gonna I'm gonna now I'm gonna stick to them, and again, go straight back into breaking them, like yeah, yeah. and it's like he don't like he's given the opportunity yeah he's given the opportunity to like take out his like sidekick like it just I don't like I don't get it and it's like I just he's like an alcoholic going to AA meetings <laughs> but then going to the pub straight afterwards yeah and like um. He's, there's a moment as well when he's uh, given the choice to kill this politician. And it was a very, like, for me, almost, like, distastefully done. Like, the politician's, like, um, the way he, like, come down the car looked very reminiscent to, like, the JFK, like. Yeah, yeah, no, and it was, yeah, like, yeah. And, and, like, he is there, like, Lee Harvey Oswalding up in a building. But before this, he says, I've got two choices because a political assassination was never in like the contract so i can either do it, i can either not do it and just get out of town or i can do it and earn a lot of money and then says anyone can kill a politician the hardest part is getting away with it yes yes i think that is crime as a whole anyone can do anything it is surely the getting away with it that is your job well, I think perhaps this is a bit of political commentary from the film. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm kind of, you know, giving it too much credit. Uh, but, you know, the current climate we're in, uh, you know, surely anyone could kill a politician if they could get away with it. Uh, but, you know, then again, this was 2008. So, you know, we weren't quite 
in the terrible position we are now. Um, but as I say, I think I'm giving it too much credit. Yeah, because um, <laughs> America at the time surely was living in a time of hope. With uh, it would have been. Let me think. Was it, when did Obama come? Yeah, in? that would have been. Yeah, that would have been the start of the right, Obama right, era. Right, right, right. Well, perhaps. Cage is like, this is the time. Maybe that really was a searing piece of political commentary in there. (laughs) Because a lot of people were talking about the possibility of Barack getting assassinated by white, like, you know, a supremacist and stuff like that. Maybe Cage is a white supremacist. (laughs) We're building out an entire subplot of this movie that it didn't know was in there. Well, because it needs it. Because it gives you nothing. It gives the audience nothing. I mean, literally... No, you could have days of fun just coming up with like what like what he did in the past because or like what he's thinking at any moment. You could just project whatever you want because, as I said, the film gives you nothing. So you we could we could theorize here for ages, going like in that moment he's thinking. uh, Like by a lot of time, his facial expressions in scenes just look like. I wonder what's on craft services today. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, he is not in the headspace of the character at all. Just something I did just think about is I kind of wonder why they even said it in Bangkok because the original film obviously is set in Bangkok, but that's because it was a film made in Bangkok, Um, and you're kind of like. Actually, because one of the other um, alternate titles was A Time to Kill. So it's not like they were like, well, we've got this title, Bangkok Dangerous. It needs to be set in Bangkok. I was kind of like, really? Is there any reason for this being set in Bangkok? Because obviously he's American now, so he's actually having to travel there. Everything, does the setting of Bangkok add anything to the film? Like, surely you could just set this anywhere planet Earth. Surely you could just be set in America. And, you know, that'd be fine. Especially if they spent money going to Bangkok to shoot it. I, with with that, I feel like, again, it was an element of, we get free holiday out of this. Right. (laughs) I definitely think it's either Cage thinking that, or he just wanted to work with the directors. Like, he kind of had, like, a perverse idea of, like, wouldn't it be cool to work with these, like... I don't know. I imagine the iconic Pang Brothers. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the, the everybody has uh, one of at least one of the Pang Brothers DVDs on their shelf. If you haven't, you've clearly got something wrong well, with your life. I do, the, the thing they're most famous for, funnily enough, is directing a film called The Eye. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, uh, but it was they did do an American remake of it. It was one of those kind of uh, Chinese horror movies that became big enough that they did an American remake with Jessica Alba um, about some girl having an eye transplant and then she can see ghosts or something. And that was quite a big hit and it had like a whole trilogy of films behind it. So I think that's their big draw. I think that'll be the thing that brought them to Hollywood, I think. Yeah. But like, I'm thinking like, because obviously it is him. Anyone, anyone could have made this film. I yes. think like, it's not like it's nothing about it that has I don't know like I don't know much about like um, Hong Kong cinema or like Thai cinema because I imagine they would have like developed their like living in Bangkok at the time and stuff like that they would have developed like 
I don't know, kind of got immersed in that kind of cinema, yeah. stuff like that. There's nothing about, but there's nothing about this film that necessarily I think like is different to like the way an American film is shot or anything no, like that. This is, you know, it comes across as one of the reasons you're shocked about it being a 45 million budget is it very much comes across like a straight to video action movie, like hundred percent in its execution, everything about it. This is something that you expect to find on the bottom shelf in Blockbuster that you've never heard of. And like I'm I'm really ashamed of myself that I have heard of this film yeah. and that I've actually watched it. Um and like there is something else that leaves a bit of taste in my mouth as well, is the fact that um the watch that he, uh, Nicolas Cage wears, like he actually has it says here, um the watch worn by Nick Cage's character is endorsed by the actor and is a Ventura VTEC Sigma W25R1. So it's almost like it's kind of like that disgusting thing that he's he has personally used this film to kind of like this is a bit of product placement, product placement yeah, that yeah. is just like one, the watch is fucking gross. You can set your hits by it. <laughs> And like, as some like, it looked like to me something that would like not look out of place on the wrist of Captain Kirk. Right. Yeah, but it looks very like I don't know. I'm not much of a watchman, but it's this kind of big, bulky, like sci-fi looking. Like he should. Oh, yeah. And actually, it does play quite a big part in the film, doesn't it? Really? Yeah. Because even they're using it to kind of he's using it to cut time kills and stuff like that. Like, um, he uses it in the underwater sequence, doesn't he? Yeah, 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 to see okay. how long he's got before his breath runs so out. there are scenes in that film which are designed to show off the features of that watch. And even, even, I think at least two of, of three of the hits that he actually does in the film involve the watch, because there's one where he pulls up to the traffic lights to gun down the guys, and he kind of, for some, I don't, like, again, it doesn't really go into, like, his planning, that's sometimes, like, especially with something like a Hitman film, that's, that's sometimes, like, more interesting than the hits themselves, is kind of seeing the mechanics of how you set up something like that, almost in the way of, like, a heist film, like, the kind yeah. of, like, seeing, like, how they're going to plan to do the, like, raid or whatever. In this, it's just, oh, he, he, he knows exactly where they're going to be at that time. Well, I mean... Like you say, I mean, it, it, it's completely tab A into slot B type plotting, isn't it? With, well, without even that, they're not even slotting together. They're kind of like, you know, he's half pushed it in, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, is a, it is a square peg in a round hole. It is just like, you yeah. yourself in your head to make sense of the whole film. A, cho- um, a choose your own adventure cage <laughs> film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that sounds interesting to me. About. I mean, th- there's so much kind of wrong with this film. I mean, just little things that I kind of point out. The one scene, the one scene that I pointed out was sort of interesting because of the location was still awful because of the terribly directed and edited action, but also just little things like that gondola scene. What is going on with the cowboy at? Like Nicholas Cage is wearing on his head. And the most 
poorly concealed silencer since Dirty Den got killed by a bunch of bats. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, the thing is with that outfit choice, it is very similar to the outfits you actually see Nick Cage wear in his real life. Oh, yeah. So it just, wearing his own clothes. It genuinely looks like he's just got, they've gone... The budget would have been 50 million if they would have had to got his own wardrobe. <laughs> You you got ten minutes, Nick. We got a, we got a gondola set up outside Studio B. <laughs> yeah. Yep, I'm coming. Like he looks, it just that's what I mean. The character isn't isn't fleshed out. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, that, oh, assa- no, there's no the, like I said. Yeah, there's no character work at all. Assassins keep it keep it like cool. Keep it one outfit they wear all the time. Do you know what I mean? If yeah. it was like black suit fucking wicked but this again he looks like a weird guy a weird he looks like a weird american tourist on holiday not knowing what the fuck he's doing like i don't, I've, I've got a problem with cowboy hats anyway i just think they yeah. look weird and yeah, like well, he certainly looks weird in one he doesn't put it off no um i think we should probably talk about the ending shouldn't we because i think the ending is is quite interesting in and I don't mean interesting isn't good. Oh, it's not a head scratcher. <laughs> it's not. It doesn't leave you guessing. Um, I mean that's it's an odd ending, isn't it, for this type of film? Yeah, just because again, it kind of it it does it doesn't feel like the film is like building towards that at no. all. It doesn't feel like it's kind of he's had this. I don't know, like. Yeah, let's this, this, like, say what happened. Yeah, the, the ending. Well, Cage, at the end of the film, commits suicide. And it's sort of out of nowhere. He's gone to save his sidekick and the girl and everything like that. Blows away the bad guys. The head bad guy is in a car. He kind of shoots up the car. He goes after the head bad guy in the back seat. He realises... Does he realise he's been shot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's been shot, so he probably thinks, oh, maybe I'm on my way out anyway. Or suddenly there's loads of police there. So he thinks there's no way out. And he puts the gun to his head and pushes his head next to the bad guy's head and shoots them both uh, using the one bullet he has left because he's only got one bullet left. Now... I mean, this is this is so so weird because it doesn't seem to align with the kind of film it is at all. Because it's a sort of shocking ending in a way, which kind of comes across more. I'd be interested to see how the uh, original ends. One of the things that, like, just you explain that makes me think. I think that this is one of the elements they thought we've got to keep from the original possibly and maybe like i i can only guess that the original tonally is like keeps a steady tone throughout the film and would seem more clever because obviously it is a man who is deaf and mute Mm. and almost like can't even like can't even say what has happened Mm. by the end of it so it is almost like it is. It is the only way. It's the only way out. It's the only way I'm going to take out this bad guy because obviously he'll probably have a lot of political swing, I guess, as like a or probably pay off the cops. It is the only way for me to 
to well, take him down. I don't. You did say that the original was quite critically well received, wasn't it? Yeah, like, em- Empire Magazine, four out of five, like... Um, yeah, because you almost cancelled your Empire subscription. <laughs> you thought they didn't call Star Wars piece of shit. <laughs> that, is, that is correct, yes. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're probably exactly right in the sense that that seems like maybe a holdover from the original film. Because to me, you know, with my knowledge of Hong Kong cinema and stuff like that, that ending aligns far more with the ethos of kind of Hong Kong action films, which tend to be far darker... Uh, far more nihilistic uh, than their American counterparts. And for this, I presume they brought that across. But like you say, you need to build up to that. And because Cage has little to no character in this movie, we have no idea really why he would suddenly choose to go, oh, there's no way out, I'm going to top myself. It just doesn't quite fit. And it doesn't fit with the kind of film they've made. They've made a very, very low-rent actioner, and that kind of ending doesn't comply with the rules of that kind of film. You know, he's either got to get out and shoot his way out, or, you know, be saved somehow, and they did have an alternate ending. Oh, fuck. And in that, Con, who is his sidekick, does save him from the police. Uh, Joe kills the bad guy. And they help him rehabilitate, and then he flees the country. So he gets a happy ending, and the alternate ending. I think it was shot, I think it's on the DVD. Um, and, you know, that that would fit far more with this type of film, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, it's like, uh, it's kind of a weird comparison, but reminds me of, have you seen Get Out? I have, yeah. That has, like, almost like a very similar, like, ending scenario with the cops turning up or yes. what you see and that also has an alternative it ending and gives you yeah. and like i think this film would have benefited from having that as they've like hollywood like really up the wazoo they've made this a hollywood picture should have gone with the happy ending because yeah, that yeah, is yeah, that is so much more in line with what like like the general public would want, like especially like a Western audience and stuff like that. Like it, it just doesn't, it just doesn't fit with this film. Like I, because it, it just it's yeah. been seen throughout Hollywood, like and like through time that a lot of like uh, Asian cinema endings and like films do not translate well into English. Mm. A prime example would be Old Boy, the um, yeah. Fantastic film, but then directed by I think it was Spike Lee. Uh, the of, remake, yeah, 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 yeah. The remake directed by Spike Lee, and that film for anyone like I'm not going to spoil the ending, but like by for anyone is just a very hard to stomach ending, and has just such like punch in the original, whereas like the the remake is like still that same ending but just really falls flat and it's just like oh do they keep the same ending they keep the same ending yeah 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 yeah. they keep and just like the whole it doesn't fit yeah yeah yeah. making the film this time and like maybe it is something as like a someone like living in the western world that like i don't know there's something exotic about like people who don't like do you mean like 
look the same and like it's all I don't know I don't know how to say it without sounding insensitive but like it's it's almost removed and it's in a different language that is probably first and foremost well, it's a different sensibility yeah 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 and, and yeah exactly like you know I think they have just got a you know, a completely different sensibility to their kind of films and you know yeah like you say the, the tone of them and the nihilism of them and stuff like that and you know it it's all very well that they could have kept that ending, but they would have had to have built up to it in a similar way as they did in the original for it to be able to work. Because here it just seems odd. Nothing about this film makes you think, oh, we're going to have a shock ending where he blows yeah. himself away. You know, it, it seems bizarre. What other action film of this nature can you point to where the ending is the lead hero committing suicide? Um, None. <laughs> None. Exactly. No. Like, you know, or if you drift through all the Arnie films, all the Stallone movies, those kind of films, like that is not an ending you can see any of them signing off on. It seems bizarre. And it doesn't even seem in like some kind of heroic fashion. Do you know no, what I mean? No, like, not at all. Not at it's all. not like some kind of like if you like that's what I mean. If you were to see that in like say like an Arnold Schwarzenegger film, it would be in some kind of like I don't know like. To save, to save the fucking world. Do you know what I mean? I've got to, yeah. I've got to fly this ship into a asteroid bigger than fucking like Glasgow. I mean, you could Glasgow. say that maybe he's protecting Kong to be like you know because we've got to get rid of this bad guy because otherwise he'll come after us. But at this point, I mean, he's killed every single person who works for him. But nobody you know, cares because the know. like you don't care about those people no, oh, and no, the stakes are so you don't low. Care about anyone. You don't care about anyone. That's what I mean. Like, I don't care because the stakes are so low. If it was a thing of like he has committed the, the, uh, suicide to help like the whole of Bangkok. Do you know what I mean? Bangkok will go up in flames if he doesn't do that. But he doesn't. He just goes right. I'm going to help this. Maybe I'm going to help this one guy. It's not like again. Nothing's really explained. There isn't. This has got the depth of a fucking puddle. This uh, yeah, film. No, you're exactly right. Um... So yeah, I don't, I don't think we like this film really. No, uh, but like as I always do, I like to I like to see if I'm vindicated by the internet. Right. Uh, how did this score? And I always go for I just Google a film and find out what scores it provides me. Right. And it could be two, it could be three. This week we have two scores, and they're from two trusty sources of IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes. IMDb. This is a 5.4 out of I mean, 10. That's, that's insane, isn't it? 5.4. I mean, if anything goes to show that the IMDb cannot be fucking trusted when it comes to film scores, because there's a bunch of idiots <laughs> going on there, is this movie. Because 5.4 for this film is insane. I mean, that's... That's more than halfway to a ten. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's fifty. That's over fifty percent of people. Over fifty percent. Like, oh god. Um, and rotten tomatoes. Eight percent. Eight percent. See that? I get that. Even that would say slightly generous. (laughs) To be completely honest, um, you know, if because if this was on a star rating basis, I'm not. I couldn't even go one star. It'd have to be half a star. Also, you know what I mean? Like, just fuck all. One of the, like, Google often gives me, like, um, like Roger Ebert scores. And oh, yeah. I, I I like to hope he did not watch this film because, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Like, it is 
Oh. Is Ebert dead yet? He is, he is now. This is what killed him. <laughs> <laughs> possibly, <laughs> possibly, yeah, yeah. I like... Just died with despair. Not, not to speak ill, but like, I, I'm kind of hoping he died before this film came out, because this, <laughs> this could have been, this could have been the, the final nail in the coffin. It could have been. Like, um, oh. yeah. I... Do you think this is the worst film you've done for the podcast so far? Um, I think it possibly could be uh, because it, there's nothing like there's nothing fun about it. And it's like no, it's not. It's I not feel fun. I feel almost insulted, especially like knowing like that Cage had it within his power to possibly like kind of scrape all this shit together and try and like get something good out of it it's not a good bad movie there's yeah. nothing to enjoy about it it's not batman and robin batman and robin is one of the most enjoyable bad films ever made you can watch that and have a joyous time because it's so much but it's it, it, lots of awful elements about it but it's so much fun to watch you will be laughing your socks off but this <laughs> is just horribly boring well yeah i think like one of the things that like you say about that like it's not like quotable. Like he, like the way he looked reminded me of like Tommy Wiseau from The Room. And I just thought like that film is so bad. It's good because you like it's quotable yes. and it's like what the fuck is going on? Whereas this is just like I know you can do. That's the thing. It's like I know he can do better. I know more could have been done with this story. Well, he, could do, uh, he could even do better bad movies because Cage is someone who we know when. Um, he does crazy cage that even if it's bad that can be quite entertaining this isn't crazy cage this is boring yeah this is on par with um i think this is a perfect you know you get those like double dvd box sets a lot of the time like bargain bins this and uh next should be in one of those and put into a spaceship fired (laughs) at the fucking sun because they are both Bland, boring cage. And it's so like, bland. I would rather, I would rather balls to the wall fucking crazy or like really giving it some, his most like acting chops. Do you know what I mean? Really like yeah. hamming it up. But we get none of that. Or no. we, we literally get like. He's not even there. He's not even there. It's not even phoned in. Okay. It's a fucking answer phone message. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's Morse code. Like, it's just so fucking bad. The two moments I can think of which made me laugh um, in a sense of nothing, the film wasn't trying to make me laugh this way, but I found the funny, was when he's on the date with the deaf mute girl and the moment he looks happiest is where there's a point where she serves him some of the food (laughs) and he looks so happy at that moment. He's just like, and that totally adds in to your idea of him being someone looking for a Thai bride. Because it's like, that's the moment he went, oh, she's serving me. Oh, yeah, this is what I like. You know, the the horrible white man who's gone over there to be like, yeah, serve me, baby. Like, I think that moment, and the moment when there's a bit when they're in the gondolas, and suddenly the chase begins and he turns around to the boat who's rowing the boat there's no engine on the boat <laughs> he's rowing it the other the other one's got an engine that goes off like speedboat but he turns around to him and he shouts 
get us out of here. I'm like, it's a fucking motorboat, mate. Like, you don't warn them about, like, you're, in, you're not gone in 60 seconds now. Like, yeah, you're not going to be able to go anywhere. I love that that scene as well had, like, the classic, like, they bump into another boat and just, like, guys just like, hey, what you doing here? Like, like the Thai equivalent of, like, it's just like, oh, my Lord. Hey, I'm rolling here. Yeah. I'm rolling here. Well... Before I let you go, Liam, is there um, any last words you want to say about this film? Uh, well, Would you recommend it? No, <laughs> no I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it. So, I mean, there, there's literally no reason I could possibly recommend this. Not as a curio, not as an enjoyably bad movie, not as a good movie. There is nothing to recommend. Not even if you were, if you'd say, oh, I'm a big fan of Nicolas Cage films, I wouldn't point you towards this film. Even then... Because I don't think it represents, you know, what even a fan of Nicolas Cage would be after. I think it would be hard-pressed to find people who are. And if you are a fan of this film, please, please let me know. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> yeah, easy right, to do. Right in. Yeah, at Caged In, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Caged In Pod uh, at gmail.com. And I will send you an email back. Uh, with um, the online equivalent of Amphrax, or like your your computer will then blow up uh, in a Mission Impossible style uh, explosion. Well, it's been fantastic having you here today, Liam, to suffer along with me. Is there anything else you would like to shout out to the guys? Yeah, if I could, man. As I said earlier on, um, I do a podcast on my own called Spotlight um, about Star Trek. Uh, by all means, come check us out. If you are a big Star Trek fan, we interviewed Robert Salen, the producer of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, uh, probably the most famous Star Trek film ever. Um, for people who aren't fans of Star Trek, we've also interviewed Richard Donner, uh, the director of The Goonies, Lethal Weapon, The Omen, Superman, Scrooge. Um, so, you know, there's something for everyone, is what I'm saying. Come on over. Also, I should give a shout out um, to my fiance's new podcast, Bygones. Uh, it is right now the only Ali McBeal podcast out there. So if you're wanting an Ali McBeal podcast in your life, uh, presented by two uh, sisters, viewing it from 2018 lens, because obviously it was out in the 90s and now has dated somewhat, definitely give that a listen. They break down episode by episode and... Even if you haven't seen Ali McBeal, of course, they do an amazing job of breaking down each episode scene by scene so you can understand what's going on without ever just describing what's happening on screen. They actually always make it really enjoyable, interesting and funny. So I'm, I'm a big fan. I might be a bit biased. But... <laughs> well, I, 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 you've sold me on it, so I definitely will be checking out Bygones. It might just be an excuse for me to watch Ali McBill. Uh, I'm not going <laughs> to lie about that. Uh, I think the only reason I never watched Ali McBill when I was younger is because it had um, the guy who was in Ghostbusters 2. Peter McNeil. Peter, who scared the living shit out of me. And it is only in the last few years I've kind of like disassociated him from the... Uh, Museum clerk in Ghostbusters too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I can, I can see, I can see why. It's the way you found him scarier, not the the painting dude, the actual villain. 
It was him. It was the, the exact moment where he turns up to Dana's apartment and then walks down the hallway with his eyes lit uh, up. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that moment. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he's very good in Animal Bill. Um, well, I'm sold. I'm going to be. I'm going to be. I'm going to be checking CEX to see if they have uh, the complete box set, or if not, I will be looking online uh, somewhere that isn't a um, corporate tax dodging motherfucker <laughs> uh <laughs> so yeah, i mean you can probably i think you can probably find the alimentville box set for pretty cheap now amazing uh, so there's an easy way in um but yeah no definitely check both those out and yeah it's been a pleasure to be here as always i have been petrus pat syllabus i've been liam hmc we've been caged in you've hopefully not suffered along with us and watched this piece of shit but if you have My hat goes off to you. You've been rad. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Droop Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.